Rocking chair, chair sessions. sessions. With Elisa Di Battista, Maria Teresa Barber. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another RCS Rocking Chair Session, Volume 147, with artist Frankie Cruz. Welcome, Frankie. Thank you for sitting with us today. Hello, guys. How's it going? Pretty uh, good. Right? How is how is your day today? How is checking in and stuff? Um, we just did an audio test for those of you listening in, and we were making sure that the headphones and everything was working, and it's up and running. So thank you, Frankie, for making sure you were wearing your AirPods. <laughs> All good. Audio is set. And uh, also we have like a special perk. These new Skype rocking chair sessions allows Elisa and me sometimes to peek into artist studios, which usually does not happen because we usually record at the bakehouse and we don't get to see the studios the way that we do now. And Frankie's studio is definitely a very, very special kind of studio with lights purple the purple light i like a lot and aura nets and fantastical creatures shall we jump in frankie and talk about some of the fantastical creatures you currently have in-house in your studio okay so what you guys are seeing there are uh, blue and red led lights that i use to keep the milkweed plants and the host plants for the butterflies that i raise here alive and um the nets and the mesh quarantines are for uh, this section that you guys see to my left is where, where I have the, the caterpillars with the plants that they eat. And that's where you see that uh, purple light glowing from. Uh, those lights keep the plants alive, which keeps the caterpillars alive. And then they will go to the top of this mesh uh, cage and turn and transform and turn into the chrysalis, where I then gather them from there and bring them to the, the other mesh quarantine, which is like the emergence table, where I have the watercolor paper inside of the frame. And I'll hang the chrysalis uh, above the watercolor paper. When they emerge, they secrete this emergence secretion, this meconium that's uh, pigmented. Um, and I've been making paintings in here with these butterflies for strictly, like, not leaving the studio for, like, a year and a half. So I've already been in my quarantine. But wow. we've been doing this here for, like, four years already. So maybe oh. maybe a little more than that. Emerged, and- like, over 2,000, about to emerge, like, 3,000, maybe we've had, we're at like the 3,000 butterfly mark where like that's how many emerged in the beast at the beginning of this project. Um, this amazing. painting you see behind me right now is number six of the of large of the large scale paintings, which uh, would have been either done or in progress at the Spinello Gallery. So we were supposed to have an opening um, April 20th, um, mm-hmm. which got, of course, uh, postponed, postponed due to the COVID. Of course. Um, funny thing is that... Uh, <laughs> the first time I was able to take this project from, you know, just like an idea and, and uh, to, like uh, sketches and testing and smaller pieces that I was doing, like the beta versions at my apartment. And I was able to take it from like my little apartment studio to this other level where I'm able to uh, raise 800 butterflies and create these two large scale paintings using 420 butterflies where I was able to scale it up to that point was that Locust Project. Wow. Yeah. And, the, the funny thing about that was like the big, very pivotal moment in this process that took it from like this experiment I'm doing in my yard to like something I'm going to focus on now. And, um, and the opening for that was also postponed due to Hurricane Irma. So, oh my God. So I think it's like, 
And then this solo show is about to come up, right? We're about to have the first solo show where I'm showing all the paintings since the beginning of this project, um, including the, the first two I made at Locust Projects. Um, I was hoping to, to get them loaned from the collectors and be able to show them. So show just basically what we've been doing and, um, and then that got postponed. So there's something interesting about these butterflies and, and, and their chaotic nature. And the butterfly effect where you just, everything yep. gets postponed, literally. Wow. It's like if it, they definitely flapped their wings and brought a hurricane. <laughs> and then there, you know. So basically, if we so want a transition. natural, if we want a natural disaster to happen, then just give a solo show to Frankie Cruz. That's what's going yeah, to happen. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying like I'm not saying like um, that anything I'm doing has like this power, but there is definitely an interesting coincidence. Yeah, I don't believe it, but you know, like just these two pivotal shows for it. There's been some. You know, for as beautiful as the process is, there's also that other side. Like, I don't know. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what to make of it. I'm still, I'm still trying to make, so, make sense of out. that. But the work is about, you know, the energy is, is being put out. Uh, it's definitely about metamorphosis, you know, uh, transition, transmutation. So change and adapting to a new circumstance is, uh, is very much part of the work. You know, actually, the work came about, um, at least the, the work that I'm doing with the butterflies right now came about. Uh, just me f like falling into this moment of chance. I don't know how to describe it. Like just noticing that something's happening. I didn't plan on capturing butterfly secretions. I was working with like natural plants and I already, I already put myself in a place where, where, where I stopped doing what I was comfortable with. I stopped doing the, the painting and painting murals and I was seeking something else already. So I did do that on purpose, but I didn't, You know, I just left myself open for new things to happen, even though they weren't, they didn't feel right or I was very uncomfortable about them. Like the beginning of this whole process was just like, what am I doing, you know? Um, which can be challenging for sure to leave what you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. New tools, sure. new materials, just uncertain And of where it's going to go. Complete uncertainty. This whole process has been from uncertain, but uncertain, but still going in that still going with that in that direction you know um i guess if i could just tell you guys the origin of this whole of this whole process then it would make it would make more sense i guess it's all chaotic as i'm thinking about the story to tell you guys i'm like wait you know what it's all been pretty me fl falling into the flow or like paying attention to these serendipitous moments that like just make sense and just go in that direction like, it was basically for me taking a migration myself like going to l.a And then hanging out with uh, Sinessa Kukek, an artist friend of mine that was showing with Spinello Gallery. I went with them to part partake and help them in that process. And then me and Sinessa took this trip. He wanted to see the butterfly migration. I didn't know anything about that, you know. So he kind of planted the seed that night. Super like, excited about this. It could have been a bat migration, you know. I would have been. <laughs> that's in my nature forever. Like he would have been like, "There's slugs migrating. Tomorrow we're gonna go look under rocks. We gotta wake up at five in the morning." I would have been. YouTubing drunk that night, just like I did the butterfly migration. And then we realized, you know, the monarchs are doing bad. Their numbers are horrible. We were probably not even going to see that many butterflies due to the weather plus their numbers. Basically, we almost cried. And, like, we talked about doing that as, like, a, <laughs> a road talked, trip, yeah. I was, like, I felt instantly, like, that needed that. Um, that um, oh, wait, I haven't even got to the point where, like, where I did a bunch of research that night because I got very excited about this monarch migration. I didn't know butterflies migrated 3,000 miles from Canada to Mexico. 
So we were going to see a part of that during that trip. And um, I did some research that night. I got very excited and landed upon this video where this guy was doing this monarch wing repair. Um, oh. wing. His name is Chris from the, the Monarch Foundation um, in Boca. So then the way things connect, I saw this video in L.A. He has his foundation in Boca or had his foundation in Boca. This random YouTube video where he's doing a butterfly wing repair. I instantly like felt like that empathy for that creature, like that gesture, that poetic gesture of fixing a butterfly's wing should have been brought into the art world somehow. And I thought I was going to do it as a workshop at Locust Project. Actually, I was thinking about a roundtable talk with Sinessa. We're going to do that. That never worked out. Long story short, two years later, Anthony Spinello invites me to do a, a performance. Um, I do the butterfly ring, wing repair in, the, in, in a greenhouse in the gallery. And the research, in order for me to even do that myself, I had to connect with the guy who taught me via YouTube video. So I connected with him. He sent me the wings and then put me in conversation with some experts. The butterflies came into the studio. They never left. And wow. I no, not naturally, they're just going to start. If you're in my studio, we're going to make art together, no matter what it is. It could be a bunch of llamas in here <laughs> or like, if you come in and you're hanging out for long enough, we're going to do an exclusive corpse. We're going to draw something. Something's going to happen. Like there's no way for it to not get fed through that filter. And I, a bunch of things happened where I was working with the butterflies and the caterpillars and all these other ways where like, I noticed the caterpillars would just go anywhere and um, go through their metamorphosis on any other random objects in the studio. So then we started doing that on purpose together, literally me running around my studio and like noticing when the caterpillars are about to go look for a place to chrysalis and then give them a place to chrysalis. And then we started doing all these things where like they were actually going through the process on these found objects or bones or whatever. Um, and that was all just not knowing what I was doing, you know, just playing with these things. Exploring, yeah. And then, and then raising them, noticed on my windowsill, they were emerging and secreting these liquids. And I was like, I can either clean them up or, or realize that nature's already making these beautiful paintings. And I was like, I'm going to slide a little bit of uh, watercolor paper under there. Was the, This idea was simple. And now, you know, I went from... I'm going to do this on the side while I make my paintings. I'm just going to like make these, this, this body of works and I'm already raising the caterpillars. The caterpillars were never leaving. And, um, and I'm just going to make a series of work and see what happens. And it ended up, you know, completely taking over my whole entire process and trying to find time to make the other paintings while I chase butterflies. And, you know, from that working with like seven to eight different species and raising, hundreds and hundreds of butterflies, releasing them, connecting with gardeners, spreading butterfly gardens. So then I realized like the butterfly wing repair t that was titled one fifth of an ounce, which was the, the weight of a butterfly. It was a beautiful poetic gesture about empathy and connecting with that creature, but really wasn't what's going to help them. Like I'm not, I don't recommend anyone go out and start looking for broken wing butterflies and try to fix their wings. You might help that one butterfly or you might stress them out and kill them. Um, but what's really going to help them learning learning by living and raising them is that they need the plants that they need. You know, they have a relationship yeah. with a specific plant, just like we do. <laughs> you know, like I've ingested many plants this morning already. So like, um, if we don't have the things we need to survive, basically what they needed was the, their environment back. So they just habitats and spread the, the butterfly gardens and make sure to spread the, the pollinator gardens for the bees and all the butterflies. So, um, that's what we've been doing, connecting with the gardens like the Center for Subtropical Affairs so I can have a responsible place to release the butterflies and have a place to harvest caterpillars. 
oh, along okay. with what I like to call a Vivero Meconium network, which is like basically any friend of mine who I've either given a garden to or helped get a garden or someone who does have a garden who can't raise their caterpillars, they bring them to me. I, I raise them, collect their secretions, and then if they want the butterflies back in their garden, we're going to get them those butterflies back. And basically it's like a system where I get these secretions, but then I help raise the butterflies and spread more spread more gardens, you know? Like, in, including my friend Sinesa, who has plants, who helps me a ton, because he has plants over there. I run out, and I'm like, can I please come over and take your leaves? I'll bring them back. And I try to bring them back and give them more plants, even though I give them plants with no leaves on them. <laughs> so I need the leaves to feed the caterpillars. But his garden grows, you know. It's, it's growing little by little through this process. And along with, like, a bunch of other friends of mine, Hawks and Diana Ladea, who's a photographer with the gallery, also has plants and has brought me many caterpillars. So without this like network and community, like it would be very difficult to raise all of these butterflies, you know. Wow. Especially That's when it's like my garden outside is just a potted garden, and I and you'll be surprised how many butterflies I harvest from just the pots that I have outside, which proves that very little work can bring back a lot of nature, you know. Very little space, you'll be surprised how many people you can feed and how many butterflies you can raise, and you know. I, I think it's really interesting that this whole process came about from this small gesture of like fixing a, a butterfly's wing, you know, which is kind of like a more, um, it's, uh, there, there is a m medical term for it. You can either prevent something from happen or you can uh, cure a disease after it occurred, right? And so you kind of went from this, fixing a broken wing to actually not not maybe preventing that a butterfly is gonna have a, a broken wing but just you know raising so many more butterflies to yeah. kind of help them out as a species mm -hmm. right not just like this one individual butterfly that has a broken wing but the whole species in a way by by fostering their their environments and fostering their you know life in a way as well I thought that was very interesting. Was that I, I think I was I was there. I think that's probably when I first met you. Was that in 2015 when you did this first, you know, iteration the the, the fixing of the wing at yeah, I think that was November 25, 2015 yeah, in the in the yeah. yeah. I think that is the first time that I saw so you. It was a full moon too that night. Mhm. Mm I'm not mistaken. Anthony titled the show Full Moon. I think there was also a full moon. So mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know to throw that for anyone thinking. Yeah, I, re I remember that. And <laughs> I remember how um, elaborate your little, you had a little house then too, right? Where like there were, it was very green and it was like yeah. kind of, and you were working in there and you could just see from outside. You could, you know. So that was me repairing the butterfly wing. So yeah. we did four butterfly wing repairs. And I vowed to never do it again because I was just so nervous. And it's such a delicate process. Like, they're actually surprisingly very strong. The point, I didn't even know you can touch butterflies before this whole entire process. So they're, they're, they're very, very strong. But at the same time, you know, it was just... I was, like, so nervous to, to try to put, pull that off. At one moment, it was, like, so quiet because I could hear people whispering, like, oh, did he kill the butterfly? What's he doing in there? Like, and, again, and the butterfly, I thought itself it could have been dead because it didn't move. And it was just like this dead silence that like when I was able to take the butterfly off out of its bondage because I have to kind of hold it down with this wire. And I was trying to see if it was um, alive and how it was doing after the repair. And it got out of my hands and flew away. And the uproar of the people there went from like 
everyone's about to walk out of the gallery and like I'm about to read it in the paper tomorrow where I just like <laughs> artist kills a bunch of butterflies in a greenhouse trying to you know it went from that moment to like yeah so so I don't know why I brought that up but that was just very nerve-wracking but I also realized that like to help the butterfly what they need is actually those gardens you know so like through that research through that gesture I learned myself that um it's almost like yeah I'm still human like getting in the way of this natural process that helped them because humans have gotten in the way of their natural process it's part of the reason let's say the monarch themselves are, are doing wrong so that's how I, I say it's okay to interject, but I learned that it's a little bit different than like me grabbing them and fixing them physically one by one. You know, it's more of a, a longer learning. term solution as well, I think. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's, like uh, it's better to plant the seeds for the plants that they need, you know, the thing about their environment. And, and in another way, it's like, it's all the same. Like us, we're the same way now, you know, now we're going through this situation because I don't know. I don't know. Is it because of the way we treated our environment and now it's like reacting? No, I don't know. That, that is what they, they've been discussing. They've been discussing that. Um, so this new virus is, is um, I think, bat related, right? Uh, am I saying that right? And it's because of the habitats uh, of the animals, the natural habitats got also taken away or like made so much smaller that is why they entered you know more like the the human habitat and that's how this transmission started so even the pandemic is related to you know humans destroying natural habitats for animals and i think similar things can be said about the hurricanes as well right because it's also human intervention that makes the um, temperatures of the oceans higher and then cause more and more hurricanes to happen but i i mean i have to say there is also like this really beautiful um metaphor of of a, you know the butterfly wings and i can see how how the audience was also like really relating to that moment where the butterfly gets his broken wing fixed you know it's also like almost like a mystical like um it could almost be a fairy tale story, you know, where you're like you're helping this this very fragile creature to kind of like get get its freedom back in a way, you know, or its movement back. You mentioned something, Frankie, that really caught my attention, which is if it were butterflies, you were down, which it was. If it were bats, if it were slugs, where has yeah. this love for nature for you? When did that start? Honestly, I think that's. um that was just in. It either comes. It's, it was either in my DNA, right? Because I can, since I can remember, I've been like turning over rocks and looking, in and like, just doing that. I mean, like a lot of little kids that are curious, you know. Um, I was gonna say it's either like in my DNA, completely part of my my being, or it's just like a lack of of toys, <laughs> you know. It's like <laughs> I'm just gonna go outside and play with nature in the backyard. So I don't. I think maybe a combination of both things. Like, you know, I've, ever since I can remember, I've been doing the same thing I'm doing now. And actually, funny enough, I went through all these other processes to land on something that's the closest thing to my childlike curiosity. You know, like it's like, oh yeah, I'm just kind of doing the same thing I was doing when I was a kid. Now, you know, like when I was a kid, I've always like liked science too and, and nature. And my parents knew that. Someone must have known that because I remember getting a chemistry set when I was a kid, like a little really easy, simple one. 
and I, I just kind of treated it the same way I'm treating this in here where it's like, yeah, it's kind of like art, but it's science where I ended up not reading the instruction manual and not doing what that kit was telling me to do and just mixing things at random. I ended up getting this like amazing blue ink and drawing with it. So now I'm just gone in reverse where like, I don't know, it's like uh, kind of in reverse. Now I'm going back to the science. Actually, I want to become more like a scientist, if anything, but it's just the process calls for, for that kind of order. You know, more of discovery through different mediums versus just like linear A to B. Yeah, more of like. Oh, a, no. finding I wish yourself. I was more linear. I think it would be, it would make things some easier. <laughs> but I'm just still connecting the dots on this constellation. I don't know what the image, like what it, it is yet. I'm still going from star to star, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Definitely not linear. Like jumping from what, like it, if, if you can imagine like a connect the dots drawing but also a star constellation in this, in space. Yeah, that's kind of my process. Oh, <laughs> I think it's also interesting, like the moment that you are capturing now is is that moment where the butterfly emerges from the cocoon, right? And that's the secretion that happens is that then you're drawing or you're painting. And I think that moment is also um, a very you know specific i i just i just latch on to the symbolism in your work i don't know how important it is to you but for me also this transition of the you know of the cocoon into the butterfly is like such a um you know heavy heavy symbol and that's where kind of like this this paint comes out you know that's the that's basically the moment that you're capturing this transformation can you talk a little bit about that moment, what it means for you, like in in your practice, everyday practice, but also what it means for you, maybe more metaphorically speaking? Okay, I, um, I'm going back to that first moment where I like had that aha moment that like, which, which funny enough is me looking at a butterfly secrete liquid is my like epiphany moment. Ah, it's, um, it was like staring at that, um, that uh, little conglomerate of drops and different colors, and, and looking at it with this like microscopic lens, almost like it uh, focusing in on it in in a way where it becomes giant. Does that make any sense? When you look like almost like looking through a scope or looking through a microscope, or like so, it was like taking that little that little splatter and then zooming up and looking at it like it was like a giant stretch painting in a museum, you know. And just being like, this is already like a really beautiful, very, like, if you really look at each one of those splatters, there's like all this iridescence and all these different things that like, is just ironically yeah. enough too. I don't know if it's I irony, but it, it was stuff like I was doing, like even in high school, just playing when splattering colors and mixing mediums together. And like, I did this airy residency where I ended up um, doing this photo performance where I dressed up like this bird and turned into a billboard. But like what I was working on when I was at Area Park, a lot of it was like natural pigment, just like getting some like some vines and putting them in alcohol, like trying just trying to just thinking about natural pigments and painting with things and doing things like that. Um, and it was almost like I got sunned by the universe when I noticed that. Where it's like, what are you doing? Like you're trying too hard to like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's like what do you, you need to back up a little bit and realize that this little creature that weighs one fifth of an ounce is like making these beautiful paintings. Like we are not the 
you know, we're not like the top of the food chain. I'm, I'm missing some words there, but you know what I mean? Like, where it's like, um, just taking the hand away. Like, the idea is where, like, the idea is that I take my, my hand away from the painting almost. Like, I'm saying nature's already doing that. So, it's almost like the, the abstract expressionist putting their brush on the end of a stick, right, to try to take their hand away from the, try to take their control away from the gesture. I guess trying to take their ego away at the end of the day. And just have the expression for, flow freely. It's almost like I'm saying, like, like forget about us entirely, and like I'm just a servant to this creature in order for it to do what it's already doing. I'm taking their discards and saying that that's a beautiful painting, not only because aesthetically it looks beautiful, but because of this whole entire process, and because it's a bridge to create this dialogue. You know, it's a it's a, it's a bridge to create a dialogue where like artists are not working on the planet we're working in the like we're in the planet you know we're not on top of it hey i mean we are but we you know just that maybe we need to take a different approach where we're not paving you know we're not draining the swamp and paving it to build houses on top of it we're treating it like okay we're on a river let's build let's build with it let's work with it maybe like you know still houses it. or something like that you know yeah it's working with it because yeah. even though um within the process of these paintings how they're made with the butterflies being the ones that are basically the artists you still set them up in a grid like pattern and you're you're working with them not against them but they're also collaborating with you almost in a way as almost like independent artists because you more or less place them where you want them to secrete as well. So there is an aspect of control, but there is a, also that aspect of freedom and um, almost randomness in that you don't know what they're going to make or if they're going to make um, an image because some of them don't, correct? Not all of them. Um, the percentage on that of the ones that do bloom and, and come out and, and emerge versus the ones that don't. I mean, that's part of what keeps it really interesting for me where like, I don't know what it's actually going to look like 100%. But the more I work with them, the more I do have an idea. And my knowledge of mediums in general is like enough where I can, I can set them up and make a portrait out of this or whatever. But um, all sorts of things happen where like sometimes they don't even come out of the chrysalis at all. They don't secrete anything. They just they just uh, they merge halfway and they're stuck. Anything that can possibly happen to the butterfly, I've already seen it. You know what I mean? Like, way beyond people are like, oh, what if you release a butterfly and it gets eaten by a bird? I'm like, that's the least. That's like, I've seen it all. Like, from a caterpillar not transforming all the way into chrysalis and going halfway into chrysalis, but keeping its head, of keeping the head. And I don't know if I'm going to explain this in a way where you guys could see what I'm seeing in my memory. But it's like, imagine the caterpillar going shedding its its body and becoming a chrysalis but re maintaining its head so it's lost its whole entire body but the head is still attached to the chrysalis and then the butterfly emerges with the head of a caterpillar and i don't even know if butterfly experts have seen this because i've never seen this <laughs> anywhere and i actually the first time i even talked to anyone about it but that's one of the weirdest things i've noticed that is where like now this butterfly emerges with the head of a caterpillar and it can't really see and it's gonna die because it doesn't oh, have no. a, a mouth part and it's alive, but it has the head of a caterpillar. Were you so, able to capture that in a photograph and maybe send it I think to a I scientist? Do, yeah, I do have a, I do have a video of it. I, yeah, I did document it. Yeah, I'm gonna have okay, to. Maybe someone will hear it out there who's interested in this, so we can have a conversation about it. I would love to learn learn about it.
write a journal article on this, talking about um, journals and articles and, and conferences and theses. Yeah. Could you discuss how you've been able to share um, this process about your artwork and um, the project itself in other platforms, whether they be residencies or talks? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. This is the first time um, that I make pieces in my studio where I have a, I'll be a studio. What I, this is to me, what I like to consider like the behind the scenes, actually. It's like, my studio where I'm making the first, but first time I am making the paintings in my studio. The first time I was able to make the, the well, I'm getting like lost, uh, lost for words. Um, the lab usually pops up, you know, um, I've made the paintings everywhere, but in a, a studio that is mine, it's been like, uh, I almost felt like I've been going in terraforming spaces, right? Like at Locust Projects. Exhibit-based. Mm -hmm. I, I had to, I, I actually made the paintings in-house. I raised the butterflies like in there, um, along with, with my garden and other things. But but basically the paintings were made there. I had to set up the lab, have them, I had some butterflies that were being raised in like cups with this with this artificial feed. And I had all this other stuff going on, but that happened in that, in that happened in that space. And, and then, um, then the hurricane came. I had to take it down. Then we had to bring it back, which was wild. Oh my god! <laughs> so it was. It was almost like I always seen it like more like a performance piece, and it's almost like a long term performance piece that really starts when you bring in the materials for the lab and you build it, and then you know you raise the the caterpillars there, and then the butterflies emerge, and then the performance ends basically when you take it down again, right? It was kind of like this long term. Performance well, piece. it only ended. It only ended after Locust Projects because I didn't have a studio space. Actually, I ended up like, I was like, I didn't really have my own space after that. So, because I was, I had the, I was a, uh, I was given the space and the budget to make it happen. It happened. It came up. I made these two paintings. Um, then they, then the paintings went to the gallery. Luckily, because I didn't have a place to have them. And the only reason it didn't continue was because I didn't have a space. Because I actually after. After I was already in, after I made those two paintings, I didn't even want to sell them. They got sold, and it was great that they sold. But like, I invested so much into that work where I was like, didn't even get a chance to sit with it. So like, I never wanted to stop doing it. I still don't actually, because the process is so slow that I don't even get. I don't get to every change that I wanted to make to the piece is like six months, seven months to a year. Like my next piece I want to make, I can start it now, and I want to, it's gonna take like this thing is gonna take me. It could take me a month to two to six months, right? Like the last two I finished in like six months. Um, I, wa I wanted so to ask you what the what the cycle is that you're talking about, you know, when you, when you, for this one, from this one mark, how long does it take you to create like this one mark? Because that is, I, I, I don't quite know what the life cycle is or how, how long that, um, that state before the mark is possible. Or also the quantity, I would say, because mm -hmm. I, I imagine that the dimensions of the paper affect the quantity of butterflies that you might need for the process, which then affects the time, as you're saying, Maria, as to how long they might take to form. So, Maria, can you clarify the question for me again? Because I don't even... <laughs> no, it's long. just like, I mean, this one moment where it is this mark is being made is like part of a, of a longer process right so there really? has to be the the caterpillar first and then you, there has to be this crystal what, what is it the mumification or like this transformation <laughs> uh, crystalline? 
chrysalis. And then yeah. there has to be this moment of the chrysalis, you know, Emergent, breaking yeah. and the butterfly emerging. So what what is the time frame in that in that whole process for this one mark? From like egg to mark. For one butterfly, for the monarch butterfly specifically, it'll be in the egg for four days. And then like 14 to 15 days as a caterpillar eating, which they ravage. They need so many plants to eat. They, they eat a lot. And then, they, then they'll go into chrysalis. So they'll hang upside down for 24 hours. They'll break their bodies open. <clears throat> and that's the difference between a chrysalis and a cocoon. The cocoon is, actually, is um, the, the larva will get silk or twigs or, or, or um, different, different things. Debris. We'll build, yeah. the, build the debris, exactly. Build the, the enclosure with, with that on the outside of their bodies and then go through the transformation inside of that thing. And the chrysalis comes from the inside of the creature. So it's like the, the caterpillar will hang upside down for like 24 hours, peel its body open. And the chrysalis is inside, get rid of its old body and it'll hang there. And they hang there nine days for the females and like 10 days for the males. So altogether, it's about 28 days to a month for each splatter. Wow. And I'm doing them in groups. So it's not like I do splatter by splatter. One by one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do them as many as I can get, as, as many as I can take care of responsibly, right? Um so yeah, it's like about a month to get each splatter. You can imagine that these little splatters are very precious to me. And I, during this COVID thing, I actually had like maybe 30 butterflies emerge that I didn't capture onto the piece. Even though it's ready, it's actually back here, if you can see it behind me, the mm -hmm. oak frames made by my friend David Marsh, beautiful oak, handmade oak frames. And the watercolor paper is just ready, ready, sitting there with nothing on it. And I have everything ready. And there's actually chrysalis. There's one butterfly emerged outside of it, which I haven't done at all actually I've, I've made sure to capture every splatter but you know during this covid thing i've been organizing and just resetting you know so i'm letting them just like emerge and fly out we're not actually making art i'm just raising butterflies for this month here but um i'm about to start this piece so i'm gonna need another 300 to 350 butterflies for this one piece i'm actually going to change the the grid so i've been making them on a grid and keeping it very um not simple but neutral so me setting up the grid was basically like each butterfly needs a half an inch to an inch of space around it how many butterflies can i emerge on top of this piece and it, it comes from just that setting myself up with that problem at locust projects where i was like can i raise this many butterflies how many can i get on this piece and um so that aesthetic choice was actually just a, a functional one and, and, and function leads the aesthetic in the, in the studio. Like now this purple light has become part of it, the aesthetic, but really it's just blue and yellow LED lights that promote uh, flowering of the plants and keep the plants alive long enough for the caterpillars to do what they need to do on it. Um, but I'm slowly doing little things like, and like I said, I wanted to keep the artist's hand away from it. So it's, I've, I've thought about making these automated automated paint things where I'm, I don't make the choice and the caterpillars just go where they go and they secrete onto the paper as they do. And I'm gonna, that's going to happen. And um, maybe that's what I'll do on my next project, actually, which I'm not supposed to talk about directly, but it's going to have something to do with the uh, Spinello Gallery's rooftops. Spinello GBD, Gallery in uh, Francisco. Francisco. De la Torre. De la Torre, Mr. Paco's uh, rooftop. We're collaborating together on something. 
I don't know if I can give any more details, but JBD, it's okay. You won't have to. Our, our listeners come forward. You told me the first thing you told me was like, you don't have to say any secrets, and I'm like, let me just drop a juicy one right now. <laughs> Why? Thank you for that. Well, we will be linking your website to ours so people could keep a a close eye on you and on Instagram awesome. and see awesome. what you're doing. Um, I wanted to talk about going abroad and um, the experience as an artist of more or less. Um, I think travel has just the the huge immense capacity to just um, completely transform what you're doing in your brain and also like in your studio practice. How was Berlin for you? Could you talk to us a little bit about your trip to Berlin? Um, I can. Funny enough, I'm, I'm doing things that I was doing there now, which I hadn't done in a long time. Um, like, I'm just gathering mosses and and like kind of playing with terrariums as well, like on the side, because when I was in Berlin, actually it was part of what helped get away from, I don't know, I didn't realize I was carrying so much like stigma of who I thought I was that's put onto you by your environment and how you were raised and who was raised around you and all this shit. So getting away from Miami and getting away from that, I was able to actually find myself more because I, realized I didn't have to carry some of that, you know? I didn't have to I didn't have to bring all that other stuff with me, you know? I was able to like just be in this new place and just be who I was with my new thoughts and um and let myself do these new things. So I was I still was thinking like a graffiti writer where I wanted to paint murals and I had wanted to, like had a bag full of spray cans and did, did some of that, but I was also collecting mosses and doing like these moss installations in my studios where I had like slugs and spiders and stuff, you know, like there were speakers and lights inside of this like moss installation that I lived with. And it was like, other than like, like going to all these museums and experiencing a city that's like full of like creativity. Like, I mean, you could, you can go under a bridge, at cut bus a tour and like get the best concert you've ever had in your life by this dude who offers you this hashish joint and it falls in the drain and then it, you feel horrible, but his music's great. You buy him some beer. Like it could happen. Like, <laughs> like any moment, like you could have a party in a subway, like the type of spontaneity that there is in that city. It's the type of freedom that you don't really get here in Miami. Although we're supposed to be this like tropical free place in the United States. I don't know something about Berlin and I, we can get, I don't want to get into why the city is like that. We know that they've gone through a lot and there's a lot going on. It's very heavy. Yeah. Um, creates this energy that's just like, it's it's hard to even describe. You kind of have to be there, right? And the graffiti too is just amazing, right? The kind of creativity that's spew, being spewed out of the people there. And it's probably because it just has that heavy history and went through a lot, got destroyed. There's still bullet holes in the building. Also, like going to the museums and all that was... It's very enlightening, you know, and you fill yourself with all this knowledge and you see works of art that you've learned about in the history books. But more than that was like being away from the place that you were raised at, that you kind of find yourself, you kind of find out who you are in a way, because you gravitate towards the things that, you know, putting being put in an uncomfortable place. I was at an artist residency with like 13 other artists I've never met in this building that was like an old beer brewery place that was like a Nazi beer brewer place and in this like heavy place where like you know you know like make sure you don't go too far to the west because you don't want to leave the main part of town because you look turkish you know the nazis are still out there 
sometimes just being in like a place alone and all that, you get to like learn who you are and gravitate towards the things that really matter to you. And I, just, I was automatically just kept going towards nature and, you know, and I want to say towards nature is like looking at mosses and just like, and, and that's why I say it could have been anything, anything, you know, any, it could have been bats or like any, someone could have came in and been like, look, we're going to go look at these amazing rocks tomorrow. We're going to wake up at four in the morning. We're going to jump on these horses. They don't have saddles. It's going to hurt. And, and you would look at these there. rocks that night i would have been drunk at the hotel room being like all right i gotta learn everything i gotta learn about these rocks because we're about to do some rocks tomorrow <laughs> you know and it just happened to to turn into to me doing this piece to doing this what i thought was going to be a one-time performance but intense enough where like the research i had to do for the performance was actually the thing that kind of changed me you know yeah. and it went from me observing these little caterpillars and raising them in like uh tupperwares and like little cages and these little plastic things to me being in the plastic box greenhouse being observed by people so now i'm the specimen so that kind of thing has been happening throughout in waves yeah where like things are just like it's about cycles and going full circles and spirals and you know (laughs) double helix dna transformation like the transformation of information through this invisible liquid that the butterflies carry and that we carry it's hard to ignore because these butterflies manage to have everything they need inside of them and they melt their bodies away and become like this mucus liquid in a sack and that thing reassembles itself to be this more amazing creature this like epic version of itself with wings and now it eats nectar it doesn't destroy the plant anymore even though they do have a relationship with the plant but they're not consumers anymore now they're just eating the nectar helping the plant um, propagate itself through pollination. So yeah, it's a whole process. It's phenomenal. I wanted to ask you about New World. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, New World. What about New World? Actually, they're the reason I went to Berlin to do that residency because a year before I did that residency, thanks to New World School of the Arts and Maggie Cuesta, who was the dean at the time, who put up with all my craziness and their stories. I'm not going to tell you. You can read them in a really old article of the New Times. They did write about it, but. Um, and uh, Rosa de la Cruz and the la Cruz um, collection. I got to thank them because they also paid for this trip for us to go to Venice, which was epic to see the Venice Biennale and when we graduated from the world. And to go to Berlin and, and connect all these artists and artists that I'm friends with now, actually, like still friends with um, Chicago Duncan artists we met during that trip. Um, who's doing amazing things in uh, Mexico City right now. And... Yeah, I connected to that city, and I knew I had to come back. Actually, I stayed. They didn't bring me back. I was like, you guys can't get me to go back to Miami so soon. It took me this long to come all the way to the other side of that big lake. I'm staying for another month. So that's a whole other story where, like, I stayed at, like, squat houses with these Antifa punks, and it was, like, fun. I got harassed by the cops because they probably saw me there, and I looked Turkish. And I had acid in my bag, but they didn't find it. We could edit that out. Never mind. But, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, so... Because of that trip with New World, I, I just not only, like I said, gathering all the knowledge and seeing all the art and all the things that we got to see because of them, which I'm super grateful for to them and to the uh, De La Cruz collection. But I took it as an opportunity to let it to change, to like absorb all this information and like really do something with it. You know what I mean? Like for me, that was a big deal that I was able to go over there and see everything I got to see through them. And um, I was able to. I knew that I had like, that's it. You guys got me over here. It's like almost like I already took the red pill. I opened this door. Now I'm like, 
what is it going to be like for me to come back to the city and do something? So I ended up going there again the year after that, thanks to that trip. Oh, wow. That's nice. So New World is just um, like an amazing, cheap and local school that's, that's producing a lot of good artists, I think. Some amazing artists come out of that school, you know, some dope painters like uh, Rainier Gamboa, Michael Vasquez, Timba Walda, Nicole Burko. You know, there's some awesome artists that come out of that school already that I'm proud of, like alumni. There's other names I can't remember right now, but we can go on and on. So it's a, it's a well, lot, you're, a lot. you're a part of that list now, too, so we could definitely talk about you. <laughs> so the administration there, that it was, thanks for the patience. They did good. And I have to say thank you to Aramis O'Reilly, a professor at that school, because we're talking about that school. Aramis O'Reilly, without that man right there, I don't know, you know, also very patient, also giving a lot of his time to to just give me insight and hear me out when I was just drawing weird creatures with severed legs and stuff like that. So, you know, so yeah, I'm but grateful to that. But it's strange how it's cool. creatures as well. You mentioned creatures, so, so it always has mind. this natural it's connection. Very small. Um, my last question before uh, Maria asks you her final question is, how do you, um, now that you have this project basically almost take over your practice, how do you try to find the balance between the natural of creating these um, collaborative compositions with these butterflies, as well as trying to maintain the balance with maybe your own painting, like you mentioned writing or, or just painting on canvas, or do you just maybe not give one importance over the other. You're trying to do both. One's taken over. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, right now the butterflies have completely taken over, but then they've also opened the doorway to so many, so many other things, right? Like physically planting gardens, also needing to write, to write then not just write uh, spontaneously or creatively, which I, I like to do when the typewriter is open, but Right, like, give me money, grant people, because I need you. Without your grant money, I won't be able to produce these these pieces or produce these butterflies and gardens and have lectures and teach the children. So true. Or to teach, to teach the people, right? I just say the children, I mean the people. Well, though you mentioned the children. Have you not worked um, with outreach with, with kids about at this I, project as well? Can yeah, you tell at, us about at, that? at ICA, yes. At, at the ICA Museum, I say they have a narratives program, education program that does we work with at-risk youth. You know, we work at, with different... Um, after school programs, uh, we work at the DJJ with the, with the girls at the jail there, and I bring them uh, some of this process. We've released butterflies with them. We've uh, made drawings, made paintings. We were actually supposed to. I have all these canvases in the background here, and they're from my students. And they were supposed to make these paintings from paint that I taught them how to make. We started um, the sketches already with a cochineal, which is a a bug uh, a bug that you get the red number four from you know and then you can use it for dyeing and painting so we started the sketches without teaching them how to make paint from scratch and bringing them into my process and we're supposed to show these paintings in a little exhibition in the education room you know i was like gonna curate my first show at the museum with my oh, students and because of the covid now we're trying to figure out other ways of, of maybe cool. bringing that to them to take them their canvases maybe get them some paints or something deliver and, uh, mm -hmm. if we can do it remotely somehow we're in the middle of that digitally but, yeah yeah Trying to reimagine yeah. the exhibition space for sure. Okay, well, I've spoken a lot. Maria, your turn. Last question. Yeah, I think we are ready for our final question. I think just one Don't more comment down, huh? that, that, that your process, I can see how it can be really 
inspiring for young people, especially young people who are going through a lot of, you know, through difficult times, because I think it's just so powerful because it's, it is, it's, it's speaking so much about transformation, you know, it's speaking so much about like also bringing in the way the inside out, you know, but also, you know, this, this possibility of transformation, I think it can be such a, such a beautiful thing for for young people to have in their lives so thank you for doing that yeah and um awesome yeah and uh our final question so you've been sitting in an imaginary rocking chair um all this time i don't know i don't know if you knew about that but you were sitting in an imaginary rocking chair you've been kind of rocking back and forth on your i've been rocking i've been rocking out on your wheeler (laughs) there and uh it grants you three wishes you can wish for anything and everything but you have to say them out loud for them to come true which are the rules of the rocking chair so uh even if it's invisible right now but um what are your wishes three wishes yeah oh lord like three wishes, I can anything. Like I'm Aladdin right now, or three wishes, like, like you're just, Aladdin, three wishes. I like, would I would like to happen within my artistic studio. Like no, anything about. you can wish for anything. anything. Oh, I wish for world peace. Number one, <laughs> I'm gonna say the same thing Miss America is gonna say. You know, it's a good one though. I think I'm gonna out in public wish for the real things I would wish for. Like don't give me all this money so I can raise more butterflies. That's number um, two. Got it. <laughs> I think that that yeah, is definitely I that could, should happen. I, well, just for the record, so the listeners out there, you know, any patrons or whatever, this butterfly lab does need to to take it to the next level, so I can make the work that I imagine making. You know, this is just the beginning of the of this process. When this lab needs a, a garden of its own, you know, I can imagine having a a, a bigger lab to make this one. I want to. I would like to spend a year on one large painting and emerge 3,000 butterflies on it and like see what that looks like and work with endangered species and help breed some of these creatures back into into this environment so I don't want to be selfish and wish for a new studio with a garden but hey I think you should definitely do that but we're gonna we're gonna do some good work out of this studio wish number two you know like teach the neighborhood about pollinators and like maybe like maybe have a butterfly problem in south florida you know that wouldn't be a bad idea like all right so you're gonna have to stop breeding uh atala butterflies they're not endangered anymore actually they're wreaking havoc (laughs) that'd be so funny but great the miami blue butterfly is just all over the keys we can't stop we can't you know we can't stop them we gotta stop raising them and that would be great because (laughs) they're two really rare species of butterflies but um all right all right i'll take that as wish number two like not even me that's like my little caterpillar is like what about us use it for us so which number two is for them it's like a little butterfly we i think we have that in europe definitely where do you have like butterfly houses even right in the in um i don't know where i saw the last butterfly but i remember being in them they are like really huge and they they just have all these plants it's kind of like a like a zoo for butterflies basically it's really nice yeah, I think you need something like this, you know, something big, really big. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving wish on to the three. third wish. Wish number three. Schmetterling house. That's the German word, I think. Schmetterling like, wish number house. one was just like my Miss America wish, right? Wish number two is like my selfish art lab wish. And wish number three has to be one that like I fucking like, really? What would I really want to change? Like really do if I could? 
Clean air and water and electricity that's already in the air and in the water and in the sun for everybody. Um, wow. You know, like, just, that's not too much to ask, right? Just like clean air, clean water, like maybe our rivers clean and our lakes clean. It's like the and, Green New Deal, and, but better. And energy, with whether that means like way better batteries that everyone can afford so we can ever all be just gathering energy from the sun or whatever other means other than what we're doing now. I think that's, that's a good, that would be a, a pretty good wish. Maybe we can get the electricity right out of the air for free for everyone. Which is, and our, not, which and is not, possible. Not, and not mess with the pockets of the people who are filling their pockets right now at FPL. No, I don't want to mess with their pockets, but I don't want to pay them either. I don't know. I can't, I'm making a wish, you know, keep those guys really rich, filthy rich, super rich and fat and greedy however they can have that they can still have that but that's you know i think electricity just like air and water Clear. is something that is something that belongs to everyone yeah for mm-hmm. my way it's not that that's how it is now i don't feel that's the way it is now people need to make their money that's fine i'll pay them but if i can make a wish it would be like that and everyone would be okay with it <laughs> you know there's not some like someone going oh my yachts no <laughs> you know <laughs> thank you for sitting down with us Frankie that is a good You're wish welcome. thank really you so much grateful. Frankie we look forward to your postponed exhibits opening up as soon as this whole thing hopefully everybody yeah. stays safe and it um, it gets better for us all and um, we also wanted to just say thank you once again for the work you do with the people your students at the ICA I think that's a very important cause I agree with Maria um, they're the future you know the what you show for the sure, little yeah. that's what they take on and that's what they eventually um, go forth with. So I think that's pretty huge too. Thank you, Maria. Yeah. All righty. It's important that they like uh, see that there there is another option, even if it's for like a glimpse. Yeah. Oh, that's some that's some different than what I'm used to seeing in my environment. You know. Yeah. So, that gives uh, hope. Sometimes too. that's all I need. A little that little crack in the cave when you're trapped in the cave. It's all dark, and you see that one dot of light. You're like, oh. That's probably where the exit is. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been trapped in a cave, but no. that little dot of light. That's how like, it works. Where the light <laughs> comes from, that's where yeah. you go. Yeah. That's another mm-hmm. long story. Yeah. Oh, my God. All righty. Okay. That'll be for a recap. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to our listeners. Frankie's website. Bye, um, y'all. Thank on ours. you. Good night. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.